0: Well, that was special. I love Mother's Day. I love Baby Dedication Sunday. So thank you each and everyone for being here. You caught us at week three in our new series called Jesus's Greatest Hits. That's it. He's shredding on the electric guitar with his 12 apostles. I don't know. Maybe one day we'll see it in heaven. But welcome to week three in our collection. We're calling Jesus's Greatest Hits. And we're covering some of the most well-known parables, or as I like to call them, story sermons, that Jesus ever gave. So this morning, I've got a title for you uh, to keep in the same vein of thought of Jesus's Greatest Hits and the Greatest Hits. And we had a pretty... Brand new greatest hit last week. I don't know if I can remember it as good as, last, as Dylan can, but you'll have to ask him about it. But I've got a song title for you. It's a country hit from the 90s. And all I'm going to give you is the title of this song, and I want you to try to figure out what parable we're covering just from the title of the song. Are you up for the challenge? All the moms said, it's Mother's Day. Come on. All the moms said, you got this, moms. You ready? Here's the title of the song. You pick out the parable. Friends in Low Places, Garth Brooks, 1989. Friends in Low Places. Think about the parables of Jesus. Think about his well-known, most popular sermons that he gave. Anybody got an inkling? Just shout it out to me. Friends in Low Places. That's a good guess. Not quite. The Good Samaritan, somebody said it in the back here. All right, Jules. Let's go. She's not even a mom yet, and she won. All right. So we're going to be covering the parable of the Good Samaritan. That was a friend in a low place. And even geographically, if you study the area, this road that he took was in a valley. So it was literally a friend in a low place, and the Good Samaritan came along, bound him up, met his needs, and sent him on his way. I love this parable because it goes so well with our theme of next ten. I love the question that the lawyer asked, well, then who is my neighbor? If you're new, we challenged ourselves on our 10th year as a church to write down 10 names on a little sticky note, just a post-it note, and we were going to be intentional. We were going to ask God that that we could see him take these 10 names that we offered up to him, 10 names that came to mind, and we were going to ask him to to, to let us in and watch God change their lives. And we were going to be intentional about not only praying for them, but, but speaking out, sharing, being a witness, sharing our testimony. The hardest part, I don't know about for you, but for me was figuring out who to write down. Who are going to be those 10 people that I put on my post-it note? Who do we reach out to? Do I even have 10 people in my life who aren't Christians who need the Lord desperately? Right? What a convicting question. Or the way this lawyer phrased the question to Jesus went like this. And who is my neighbor? I want to refresh ourselves on the details of this parable. And then we'll jump right into the notes. And I'll let you know where we're headed this morning. But first, let's stand. Let's refresh ourselves. We're going to read this parable together about the Good Samaritan I know you know it, but let's just refresh on the details and then we'll jump in. Okay, this is Jesus and the lawyer and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, that's Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, you're the lawyer after all, you ought to be an expert in religious and Jewish law. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you nailed it. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Next verse. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. That was their first aid. Then he sat him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, a two-day's wage, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Jesus, would you have your will and way in this service? I pray that we would capture your heart. I pray that what we talk about this morning, as we just sang, would touch a nerve. It would move your heart. God, that we would see you move in our midst. That the attitude and the actions of decided church would cause you to stir up from your mighty throne this morning and do a work. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to circle three eye opening phrases in the passage that reveal what we're going to call the Jesus method. It's a hospitality formula. That will help you with your next 10 list, with your witness, with your testimony, or what we commonly ask around here, what's your neighbor's name? We say that a lot. It's one of the core values that didn't make the cut. If you've been to family member class, you know this phrase, you know this question. What's your neighbor's name? We have to be intentional with those around us. So this parable sets forth a hospitality formula that is Jesus's own. It's the Jesus method. But briefly, let's jump into a little bit of context about the parable itself. This lawyer would have been skilled in interpreting Jewish rabbinical law. He was looking for one singular heroic act or charitable deed that would seal the deal for him. In other words, when he asked the question, what shall I do? That verb means one time act. What's one thing that I can do in one singular heroic fashion that will really secure my spot in heaven? Jesus says, you're the expert. Why don't you tell me what the law says? Law, you responds accurately. Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus' answer to him saying, you answered correctly. Now go and do these things. That's a different word. See, he was asking for one singular act and Jesus responds to him with a verb that means keep on doing continuously. Never stop loving God. Never have a break in loving your neighbor. It was something the lawyer was pinned up against the wall. He knew that God had him. He knew that Jesus, the Messiah, had him cornered. And so one desperate, desperate last grasp to somehow clear himself He comes up with one more excuse as he's pinned against the wall. And he says, okay, okay, well, then who is my neighbor? How are we going to define that? And Jesus answers with this parable. Jesus's response is what we know now as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, a little bit about the parable that we have to understand. There was about 19 miles between Jerusalem and Jericho. It was a well-traveled route, but a well-known dangerous route. It was often called the Red Road or the Bloody Road. It was well known for thieves and robbers in this time. But I had a question as I was studying for this sermon, because on a map Jericho is north of Jerusalem, yet Jesus says the lawyer, and uh, not the lawyer, but the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, all three went down to Jericho. And here's what I found out. There is a well-traveled highway that was a more direct route north to Jericho, but you would have to go through a section of Samaria. Samaritans, those darn half-breeds. The Jews did not want anything to do with them, so they would literally go a longer and more dangerous route south just to go back up to Jericho because it didn't include those heathen Samaritans. Wow. The Jews would commonly go out of their way to get to Jericho. Another thing I want to draw your attention to is the verb for both the priest and the Levi indicates that when they came upon this man who was stripped, beaten, and left half dead, the verb means that they wanted to see the damage and then cross over to the other side. These were nothing but rubberneckers. As they're traveling down this road and they see the man, the, the, the original language indicates that they would approach enough to see, oh man, he's really messed up. And then they would go to the other side. It wasn't that they saw him way off in the distance and were like, I don't know what kind of roadkill that is, so I'm just going to go over here. No, they came up to him, looked at the poor man, and then decided to do nothing about it. They didn't want to be deemed unclean by touching the man. It was neither convenient nor ceremonially appropriate. The priest and the Levite, you know what they represent? Religion and the law. Hey, indifferent and incapable of helping a situation, but very skilled at judging from a distance. Religion, the spirit of religion, the spirit of the law, incapable of any real help, Jake, but very, very professional at judging from a distance. I don't know who that word is for today, but that's the spirit of religion, the spirit of the law. They went out of their way to travel. Think about that. They went out of their way to travel to Jericho, but couldn't go out of their way to help a man dying in the road. Think of all the excuses they could have used. The road is too dangerous for me to stop and help the man, you know. He might just be a decoy for another ambush. I mean, who's to say? There's not some more thieves hiding in the bushes. Maybe they said something like, I've got to get to the temple, perform my service for the Lord. I've really got to get home to my family. Someone really should help that man. If I'm going to serve at the temple, I can't get my clothes bloody. Maybe they said something like, I don't know, first aid. It's a hopeless case. He's past recovery. Or maybe they said something like, I'm only one person. What can I really do? I can pray for him. I'll say a prayer. That's what I'll do. I'll pray as I travel the rest of the way. Better yet, he brought him on himself. He should have never been alone on such a dangerous road. Or maybe they'd said something like you and I do all the time. Well, they never asked for help. How was I supposed to know? Now we get to the Samaritan, and we get to the three eye-opening phrases. I want you to circle in your Bible if you brought it. If you're on the Bible app, use that highlighter tool and highlight these three phrases because this is the Jesus method. This is his hospitality formula that he gives each and every one of us this morning, and it starts with Number one, if you're taking notes, it starts with an insignificant moment. Purely insignificant, the phrase is that I want you to find, it is in verse, let me find it, it is in verse, let me hope if I had the passage, here we go, I want you to circle in verse 33, the phrase, as he journeyed, verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, insignificant moment. This was not his occupation. This Samaritan was not um, have any degrees in first aid. It was not his mission to do social work necessarily or to set out and, and be a medical trained professional. It was not his mission. It was not his occupation. He was just going about his everyday life running errands like you and me. He was just traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this is encouraging to me because it means that I don't have to be in ministry. I don't have to be on stage to make a difference. I don't have to have a a specific vocation in church work to meet needs, make a difference, to be hospitable. In other words, if you're here this morning... You're already qualified for the Jesus method. You're already in. Anybody can do it. This Samaritan was just traveling. He it was it was simply on his path as he journeyed. Your ministry, what Jesus was saying, is wherever you go, whatever you do, it's insignificant. How many of you think when you think when you hear the word ministry, you think church? I do. I was raised that way. When I think ministry or 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 serving somehow in ministry, I think church work. But we've got to reprogram that because it's not a church thing. It's an errand thing, it's an out to eat thing, it's a grocery pickup thing. That is your ministry. So you mean to tell me there's no need to pray things like, Lord, give me an opportunity. I wish today in Jesus' name that you would just put somebody along my path. He already has. It's your day-to-day. There's no need to pray things like, God, open a door. He has. It's your insignificant moments that are meant for ministry. It is your day-to-day that's meant for. For hospitality, that's the Jesus method. There's no need to pray, God, God, put someone in my path. There's no special calling. There's no qualification. In fact, the whole point of this parable is that Jesus is pointing out the hypocrisy of those who were qualified to be hospitable and chose not to be. We're all on Decided's hospitality team. I know Jeremy's call to action was, hey, sign up. Let's, let's be first impressions. We can, we can be at the welcome tent together. Guess what? You are the welcome tent, Monday through Saturday and Sunday. We are Decided Church's hospitality team. Number two, the Jesus method, you got you to gotta realize that it's found in the insignificant moment, but then you come alongside of that and you add to it an intentional Motive, the Jesus method, it's an insignificant moment. And you add an intentional motive. The phrase is, he came to where he was. Look at the phrase, it literally comes next in your Bible. So circle as he journeyed, then next I want you to circle, came to where he was. So the whole phrase reads like this, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. It's different than what the Levite and the priest did. They rubbernecked enough to see the damage and move on. But the Samaritan, on his journey, came right up to the man. He came to him. He didn't gasp and gawk and plug his nose and go to the other side. He came to the man. It's an intentional motive. The Samaritan saw someone in need and approached. He wasn't afraid of the mess what do you, pro- I got a question, what do you program your eyes not to see? What do you and I as believers, as Christians, as churchgoers, what do we sometimes program our eyes and our hearts not to be open to? We just don't see it. We, we, we look above it, we look beside it, but we just avoid that big thing in the middle. Maybe it's a hurting person. Maybe it's a family relative. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a, Spouse, maybe it's somebody in your own immediate family that's just a problem. The Jesus method is that we take that insignificant moment and we make it significant. We add an intentional motive behind it. This man's intentionality was instinctual. It was involuntary. It was intuitive. He didn't offer... Think, think about this. Can you imagine if the Samaritan just shouted from the other side of the street? Hey, I got a self-help program for you. I, I, I can offer therapy um, at a discounted rate. Hey, I want you to come visit Decided Church next Sunday. It'll, it'll help all your problems, I promise. We'll fix you up. I'll save you a seat. Hey, let's make an appointment. Let's go out to lunch next week, maybe early, and and we'll just chop it up over some lunch. He didn't say, when you get cleaned up, come by my office. He came to the man. He met the immediate need. That's the intentional motive. He met the immediate need. He bound up the wounds. He dressed it with first aid. He didn't talk. He didn't. Offer a verbal lashing for how in the world he got himself in this situation. Imagine if the Samaritan had just lectured the Jew on his travel plans. We don't need to reprimand or scold or tell someone how they got themselves into the mess they're in. We need to follow the Jesus method. I'll put it another way don't be a Bible thumper. Ever, but specifically don't be a Bible thumper if you've never been a caregiver because as the old saying goes people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care it's the parable of the good Samaritan Finally, we take that insignificant moment, we add intentional motive behind it, and then we've got a multiplier. Then we've got an exponent almost. It's, it's this, it goes the insignificant moment plus the intentional motive, and then we multiply by our inconvenience margin. You know what I'm talking about, and you may have heard the phrase before, everybody's got an inconvenience margin. How far am I willing to be stretched outside of my comfort zone? You got a margin for it. Maybe it's pick something up on the way home. Okay, I got that. Hey, pick something up on the way home, and then can you drop it off by so-and-so's house? Ah, I don't know. That's out of my inconvenience margin. We all have a margin of inconvenience that we're willing to go through. So did the Samaritan. He took an insignificant moment. He added an intentional motive, and then he multiplied it by... His inconvenience margin, which is where we need to get behind this morning, I want you to circle the phrase, his own animal. So, after he administered first aid and binds this man up, it says in verse 34 that he set him on his own animal. He set him on his own animal, and that's just the beginning phrase, but then he brought him to the inn, and you know the rest of the story. He stayed with the man that night, and on his way out in the morning, he covered the cost, he gave two days' wages. For this man, his inconvenience margin was beyond his limitations. We all have what we're comfortable with. We know our limits, but we're also limited by our own limits. If you want to increase your reach, if you want to increase your impact, your effectiveness, your hospitable spirit, being a witness, sharing your testimony, look at your inconvenience Margin and then stretch it. Look for two things look for a radically generous thing to do, or look for a radically sacrificial thing to do. When he put this poor, beat up man on his own animal, you do realize that that meant he was walking. You do realize that when he decided to take this man to an end, to an end. Not only was he walking on foot, letting the injured man ride, but he also went out of his way. He lost an entire day of productivity. He lost an entire day. His schedule was blown for this generosity act. And more than likely, he didn't go to Jericho to find the end. He probably, more than likely, sources say that he would have had to backtrack to Jerusalem to find the end to put this man So it was literally a whole day of wasted travel because he'd have to get up in the morning and start his journey all over. What's your inconvenience margin? Are you willing to have your schedule blown up for a radically generous, sacrificial act? What's your margin for stretch this morning? By the way, he paid all the expenses too. What I came to say It is that if we're going to have the edge in our community, the margin is found in how comfortable we are with being inconvenienced. That's the margin. If we want an edge, if you want the Jesus edge, if you want to really capture and move the heart of God as it pertains to his method, that edge that margin is found in how comfortable you are at being inconvenienced listen it will not be found in our it will it will be found that margin that edge it will be found in our urgency and efficiency at meeting needs in our community listen it's not the jesus brand of hospitality until you've gone 2 miles until you've thought two days down the road, until you've planned two steps ahead. This man gave not one day's wage labor, but two days wage labor. Reminds me of the other story when Jesus said, go with him two miles. It's not the Jesus brand of hospitality until we're generous enough to think two steps ahead. Not just meeting their immediate need, which we must, but also thinking ahead, thinking what 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 could I put in this person's life that will set them up for success later on when I'm gone when I'm out of here? And here it is: the wider your inconvenience margin grows, the more impact you can have. Let me say that again: the wider your inconvenience margin stretches, the more impact. You will have. So, if we put the whole formula all together, this is what we get. This is the Jesus method. An insignificant moment plus an intentional motive times an inconvenience margin equals impact momentum. Impact. I am. I'm. I'm the only one in charge of this. I'm the only one in charge of this. Nobody can do it for me. Nobody can stretch my margin for me. Nobody can tell me what an insignificant moment is. Nobody can tell me how to have an intentional motive. Nobody can tell me necessarily. Where to grow my inconvenience margin? I'm responsible for that. Impact starts with I am. What are you going to do about it? And then in conclusion, Jesus turns this question. I love how Jesus ends this parable, and I know we got to be done. He turns it from who is my neighbor. That's the question the lawyer asked. But the question Jesus followed up with was vastly different. He didn't answer the question of the lawyer. He didn't, he didn't tell the lawyer who his neighbor was. He said, Who acted like a neighbor? The lawyer asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus asked him, Who in this parable acted like a neighbor? This is huge. The answer that Jesus was providing this jaded lawyer was Your neighbor is anyone you're willing to be a neighbor to. Jesus was saying, Who is my neighbor? Whoever is in need. Proximity doesn't determine who your neighbor is. Religion and church doesn't determine who your neighbor is. Morals don't determine who your neighbor is. Race and ethnicity does not determine who your neighbor is. Look at the example of Jesus. Find him in the picture of the good Samaritan. Went out of his way. Came to where we were. And I don't know about you, but I've never heard of an inconvenience margin so great as to lay down your life and to shed your blood for unworthy sinners like you and me. He not only came to where we were, but he put our sins on his own body on the tree, just as the Samaritan put the wounded man on his donkey. And then he paid our way, not just two days, but he paid eternal life. He paid us a home in heaven forever. Not just two days' wages, but he took care of us for the rest of eternity. That's thinking ahead, I would say. That is a Jesus method of hospitality that I don't want to hold hostage. I want to let it flow through me at this church. I want to let it flow through me on my day-to-day. Do you want the Jesus method this morning of hospitality? It can start today, and it can start with going out to eat for mom. It can start with that insignificant moment tomorrow doing a grocery pickup. It can start an insignificant moment on Tuesday having a conversation in the break room at work. It's the Jesus method, and it's meant for each one of us. We can all be that good Samaritan. So this morning, if you're, if you're kind of coming back around to this next 10 theme, and you're asking yourself, I, just don't re- I never really knew who to put on that list. Who are those 10 names that God would have me... Pray about, be intentional around, and radically see God change their life. Who's your neighbor, in other words? What's their name? Your neighbor is anyone you choose to be neighborly to. Your neighbor is anyone in need. That's the Jesus method. Let's pray. God, we would desire your heart that this parable of the Good Samaritan would penetrate us, that we would understand it's not some special, it's not something that only Pastor Jim can do from stage. Ministry is not something that has to be done in a coffee shop with a latte and a Bible and a journal. Ministry can happen anywhere, at any time, on any errand, at any restaurant, in traffic. God bless. Ministry, this hospitality formula of Jesus Is that insignificant moment? And all he's asking you to do is put some intentional motives behind it. Don't need to pray. We don't need to pray for Jesus to open doors or put people in our path or make an opportunity. He has. It is your surroundings. Be aware of them, open your eyes to them. And then what's your inconvenience margin? Are you willing to be stretched with every head bowed and every eye closed? I'm talking to believers in the room that maybe are under conviction of the Holy Spirit and say, yeah, my, uh, s- <laughs> my inconvenience margin, well, I've, hold, I've, I've held that too tightly and too closely. I, I, I could use a stretch. I could use an inconvenience margin stretch. Help me to think sacrificially. God, help me to think generously. If that's you this morning, would you just slip up your hand? Anywhere in the room, amen. I see the hands, I see the hands. I need a stretch. I'm looking at my hospitality and realizing that it's not quite the Jesus method. Any hands at all? Amen. I see a bunch of hands over here. If you need prayer, would you go find somebody in a yellow lanyard? You can do that at any point now or during the last song. But I don't want this moment to escape until we've talked to some folks in the room that maybe came in. And not, You didn't identify so much with the Samaritan. You identified with the Jewish man who was broken, broken, beaten up, and laying there left for dead. You're only here this morning because you're at the end of your rope. You're literally grasping for straws. Can I tell you that the greatest Samaritan came along the road. He found you. Whether you believe that or not, he left heaven To find you, to bind up your wounds, to take all your sin and shame and guilt. He bore it on his own body. He became the sacrificial animal for you and me. It says, the Bible says in Isaiah that he was the spotless lamb. And that spotless lamb became bloody on a rugged cross to make a way for you to have eternal life, to make a way for you to get back to God. And this morning, All that's on the table is for you to accept the gift of what he's done on your behalf. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And so not only does he give you abundant life here and now, but he covers you for eternity. You've got an eternal spiritual insurance policy that's good for a crystal palace in heaven one day. Do you want in on that? just accept it by faith. You can say something like this, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong things. Life has beat me up and I've been left for dead. But Jesus came along. Thank you, God. You, Jesus, you took all my sins, my faults and my failures. You paid for them on a cross and then you rose again, giving me eternal life. I accept that gift by faith right here right now today with every head bowed every eye closed no one looking around is there anybody who prayed that prayer with me and received Jesus for the first time anybody at all saying today would you pray for me I accepted Christ as my savior I'm starting a life brand new any any hands at all I trust that if God is stirring in your heart, that you would make a move also. Find somebody in the le- a yellow lanyard in the back. They would love to pray with you and encourage you in your new relationship with God. Jesus, thank you for your method of hospitality. I pray that not only could we capture your heart individually, but as a church, we could rally around this method and put it in practice and watch what you do in our midst. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.